Check. Good evening. It is good to be here and see all of you. Appreciate the opportunity to come. Uh, we're doing well and having a blast. Pioneering is a blast. It's an absolute uh, great time, uh, and we are enjoying it. Uh, just to let you know, we're we're doing well. We um, uh, Sunday morning, we're usually having about 10 uh, folks that come in addition to our family, which is nice. Uh, so God is bringing people in, drawing them, and then uh, our Wednesday night Bible study, usually uh, five or six uh, people that come in addition to our family. And so uh, we're growing and we're working on the building. Uh, last you may have heard, uh, the village uh, messed up our approval process, and so I had to help them sort that out last week. And um, they, I think, have that figured out, so hopefully we'll be going to the village board for a vote within the next week or so, and then we'll be able to get in and start uh, tearing walls down and getting uh, ready to have service. So please continue to pray for that, but we're almost there, and uh, God's going to help us. Amen. Uh, turn in your Bibles to Psalms chapter 32. Psalms 32. In 1941, the Germans were advancing through the Ukrainian or toward the Ukrainian city of Berdansk. And one night, not long after the beginning of the war, a woman, an Ukrainian woman named Zineda Bregensov, was sitting by her window sewing on her sewing machine. Suddenly she heard a loud whistling sound. She said, that's strange. She got up to see what it was. And next thing she knew, a powerful gust of wind knocked her off her feet and knocked her unconscious. She woke up a while later, opened her eyes, began looking around, realized there's a hole in her ceiling there's a hole in her floor, and she said, oh my gosh, a bomb just came through my house, but it didn't blow up. She called city officials in her city and told them, said, a German bomb just came through my ceiling and went through my floor. There's a giant hole here. It didn't blow up. Can you come and get rid of this thing? And she could not get anybody to come and respond. They, they wouldn't get back to her. So she said, well, I can't live like this. She took her bed, moved it over the hole in the floor, had the roof and the ceiling repaired, and went on with life for 40 years. She lived with a bomb under her floor. For four decades... This woman lived with something that although it was hidden, it was covered, it was deadly, and it could have blown up and destroyed her at any moment. In the scripture that we're going to read, David the psalmist, he writes and he says, I was living with something deadly in my life, I was hiding my sin, and it could have destroyed me, but he records how he was able to get through that sin problem. So let's read Psalm 32. We're going to begin in verse 1 and read through verse 7. It says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. 
When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you. In a time when you may be found, surely in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. Verse 7, you are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. Let's think about covered up this evening and set a foundation. Think first of all about the sin problem. This is true that the single biggest problem that we have in life, the single biggest issue facing mankind and causing all our problems worldwide is sin, right? I know some of you, you think the biggest problem facing you right now is your mother-in-law. Maybe that's true. No, I'm just kidding. For some of you, you think the problem that you're facing that's the biggest thing is the politicians that are in charge or whatever else you might be going through. But in reality, sin is the biggest problem. Breaking God's law, doing wrong, violating the order that God has set in the universe. And this is the theme of our text. David is writing from a place where he's come out of sin, where he's been involved with Bathsheba. If you know the story, he's committed adultery and then tried to fix that, hide it by committing murder, right? So David is writing from a standpoint, the context is he's been living in sin and he's written about what he's involved himself in. Verse five, he says, I acknowledge my sin to you. And he says, my iniquity, I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. He talks about the sin that he's involved in, right? Sin, meaning the things that he's done or said or thoughts that in the moment he wasn't setting out to sin. He didn't mean to cross the line, but he realized later on, oh my gosh, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. That was sin. That was wrong in God's eyes. And then he says, my iniquity The stain of sin, the lingering consequences that we deal with in life after persistent sin. He's wrestling through that and then he says, my transgressions, my intentional transgressions means crossing the line. I knew the line was here. I knew I shouldn't do that, but I chose to anyway. David says, that's what I was dealing with. That's what I was hiding in my life. My sin, my iniquity, and my transgressions. The Bible tells us that this applies to every single person without exception, right? We know this. Romans 3, 12 says, they have all turned aside. There is none who does good, no, not one. There's not one person who lives Life, the way God designed it to be. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That applies to every person. That is true of us, right? We fall short in our lives of the standard that God sets. And the Bible tells us that sin, it destroys. That's its nature. It is destructive. Romans 6.23, the payment or the wages of sin 
is death. And the Bible tells us the soul that sins will surely die. But the good news is that in the resurrection, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God has made a way that our sin can be forgiven, that we can be cleansed, that we can be free. Colossians 1.20, the New Century Version says, And through Christ, God has brought back all things back to himself, things on earth and things on heaven. God made peace through the blood of Christ's death on the cross. Second Corinthians 5.21, Christ had no sin, but God made him become sin so that in Christ we can become right with God. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and can cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So God has made the way possible. He's opened up the way for us to be forgiven of our sins. But that scripture says, when we confess our sins, in other words, God's way of removing our sin ultimately depends on confession. Right? That is what the Bible teaches with the mouth. We confess unto salvation, right? When we exercise our faith, if you believe and if you confess the Lord Jesus. But let's think about this because that's just not a statement for those that are unsaved and coming to Christ. That is true of you and I. That is true of born-again Christians that still, after salvation, the way to deal with our sin is confession, coming clean. But we have a problem, though, don't we? Because instead of confessing our sin, instead of coming clean, owning up and dealing with it, many people, they try to hide and cover up their sin. Verse 3, David says, when I kept Silent. In other words, he says, there was a time I kept my sin to myself. He's honest in our text. He says, I had sin in my life. I had crossed lines. I broke God's law. I did things I knew I shouldn't have done. I said things I knew I shouldn't say. I touched things I shouldn't have touched. And instead of dealing with it, I decided I'm going to cover this. I'm going to hide this. That is a temptation that we all deal with. That is a common tendency. We don't want our sin to be exposed. We don't want it to be revealed. We don't even want to confess it to God. Think about Adam and Eve, right? They sin, they touch what God said, don't touch it, it's mine. And instead of going to God and saying, listen, uh, you know that tree... Uh, we, uh, yeah, it just, we touched it. Instead, they hide. They cover it up. I don't want God to know. Think about Achan, right? The children of Israel conquer Jericho. God says, don't touch the spoils. And Achan does. And God and Joshua, through Joshua, is dealing with the people, trying to find out who violated, who did wrong, and is costing us victory. People are being judged. People are dying. Achan is hiding his sin. He's hiding what he's done wrong. 
Gehazi, right? Naaman tries to give them a gift. Elisha says no. Gehazi goes and takes it and lies to cover up his own greed. And then David with Bathsheba, of course, he's writing, thinking back, I committed adultery with this woman. And instead of coming clean about that, David says, I hid it. And in order to hide that, I used the cover of a battle to have a man killed. I committed murder. Because that's that's us. Right, that is that is human tendency. That is our natural reaction when there is sin in our lives. But let's think about why this is. Why is it that we are tempted to cover up our sin versus deal with it? Number one, I think, is self-will is a main reason. Right? Often we hide sin because we know if this comes out, I'm going to have to stop, right? And I don't want, I want to keep doing what I'm doing. I don't want to have to stop. And so we cover it up. We keep it hidden. Secondly, there may be shame, right? That is a major motivator. If you've sinned, there is shame involved many times and that shame keeps people. I don't want anyone to know about this. I don't, want any, I don't want to have to talk to anybody about this. I don't want anyone to think bad of me. I'm ashamed. There are people you're ashamed to even speak and confess what you've done to God, let alone another person. Shame motivates us to keep our sin under wraps. For others, it may be fear. Right? There's fear of consequences. What's going to happen to me if I come clean about what I'm involved in? There's fear of what are other people going to say? What are they going to think of me? I'm afraid of the fallout. For others, the reason may be pride. Right? I can't bring myself to admit that I've done wrong, that I messed up. People are going to think less of me if I come clean. And then simply it may be that we don't want to come clean. We want to hide our sin because we're simply broken. Human nature is broken. It is bent. It is what the Bible calls perverse. The Apostle Paul says, In me, in my flesh, no good thing dwells. That's us. And no doubt there are people here You've involved yourselves in things. You've done things that you know you shouldn't have done. You've said things. You've given yourself to things, involved yourself in things you know are wrong. And I'm confident God is putting his finger on areas of our lives that we've covered up rather than dealt with. Let's think secondly then about cover-up consequences. Because our scripture, it shows us that there are consequences when we choose to hide our sin 
rather than confess and deal with it. Number one, the first consequence is there is a deteriorating effect. Verse three in our text, he says, when I kept silent, my bones grew old. In other words, he says, listen, sin changed me. It changes you. The destructive impact of sin doesn't go away just because you're saved. If you're involved in it, if you're hiding it, if you're trying to keep it under wraps while keeping it going, it's going to work inside of you and it is destructive. It is going to go to work in your heart and your spirit, all the while convincing you of the lie that you're going to be okay. It's going to be all right. But sin, it has a deteriorating effect. This is true guilt. Living with the knowledge that I'm not right, it impacts your mental and your physical health. Studies have shown that this is true. The old saying, it's not so much what you're eating, it's what's eating you. Right? Physical problems Mental problems often are the result of carrying guilt. Psalms 38 verse 3, my body is sick from your punishment. Even my bones are not healthy because of my sin. The psalmist writes and he says, forget about the spiritual and the mental and the emotional issues. He says, my physical body is impacted because of my sin that I'm keeping covered up. This is true. Anxiety, depression as well, often related to guilt, often related to hidden sin. So it has a deteriorating effect. The second consequence is that it deprives us of peace. Verse 4, he says, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. That is God using the voice of his conscience To deal with him, the conviction of the Holy Ghost is on him. That is actually God's incredible mercy. That is actually the goodness and the love of God that when we are not right, when we're hiding things, when we're covering up, when we're living how we know we shouldn't, God doesn't just let us go on in peace. God deals with us. He is faithful to make us face it. And he's faithful to bring bring conviction. He loves you too much to let you carry on and be at peace with your sin. The third consequence is that sin covered up, it makes you weak. Verse 4, he writes, David writes and says, My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. In other words, my strength was dried up. I was weak. I was interested to read another example of science catching up with the Bible. Psychologytoday.com. One article said, Guilty feelings may make you feel literally heavier and more belabored. Studies found evidence that feeling guilty makes people assess their weight as being significantly heavier than it is and physical activities as requiring significantly more effort than non-guilty people do. They're saying when you're carrying around guilt, sin that you've not dealt with, it actually makes you feel weaker and more tired. 
but they're not the first ones to say that. Psalms 38 verse 4, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a load, it weighs me down. The psalmist says, my sin, when I covered it up, it made me weak. It made me heavy. Think about the children of Israel. They cross the Jordan. They go into Canaan. They defeat an incredibly strong enemy in Jericho. God helps them. But a man named Achan, he takes some of the spoils that God told them, do not touch. Those are mine. That's the tithe of the land that belongs to me. Achan stole that. He took it and he hid it in his tent. Covered it up. You know what happened? The children of Israel went out. The next city was a smaller enemy. It was a weaker enemy. It should have been easier and they got their butts kicked. You know why? Because sin covered up, it makes you weak. There are people, the devil is having a heyday with your life in different areas that you used to have victory in and the reason is hidden sin. There are things covered up That was true of Samson. That will be true of you and I. See, the problem with covering your sin is that there's a time factor. Verse 6 in our text says, For this cause everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. The New Century Version says they should pray to you while they still can. That is true. You can only keep it covered. You can only keep it hidden for a limited time. See, eventually it's going to come out. Eventually, there will be exposure and ultimately judgment. Isaiah 55, 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his ways. That scripture says you need to seek God and turn to God within the time frame when he can be found. In other words, there's a day coming when it's going to be too late. Numbers thirty-two twenty-three. you have sinned against the Lord. Be sure your sin will find you out. Ecclesiastes twelve fourteen. God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Luke eight seventeen. nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be made known and come to light. That means there is a time. Right? This is what's deceptive about it is we hide our sin. We hide those habits, those things we're involving ourselves in, those things that we've been doing words we've been speaking things we've been watching places we've been going you can hide it for a time but that scripture tells us there is a time that God will give you to deal with it but that time is going to come to an end and God's mercy He gives us those times 
and opportunities to repent and confess our sin. Right? This is what's great about God. He does not want to judge. Right? That is what is unbelievable about God. We have violated God. We have offended God. We have broken his law. We have taken him for granted. But God's heart is never to get us back. Second Peter 3, 9. God is not willing that anyone should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That doesn't just apply to those people out there. That's for us. Right, that when we've involved ourselves in things that we shouldn't have, God, His heart is to restore. He wants to bring us back. Let's look at one final thought, and that is blessing in confession. This text, it shows us that God's response, when we decide to come clean and confess our sin, His response is amazing. Number one, he forgives. Verse five in our text says, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. That is God's heart. It is revealed in scriptures when people who are in sin, when they're not right with God and they come and say, Lord, I have messed up. They say, God, I have done Things I shouldn't have done. I've broken your law. I've violated your word. God is faithful and his heart is revealed in his response to people who confess that he is a forgiver. Verse 5 says, you forgave. That is the picture that Jesus paints in the story of the prodigal son, right? This son goes out and violates the father horribly takes his inheritance, wastes it, takes for granted everything that the Father has done for him, insults his family. But when he comes to himself and he says, you know what? I need to go back. I need to confess. I need to make this right. The Bible says the father is waiting with anticipation. He couldn't wait for his son to come back. That's God. That he wants to forgive. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. The second part of God's response when we confess is protection. You know what's interesting about human nature is when we are hiding our sin, when we're covering it up, we think we're protecting ourselves, right? I'm protecting my reputation. I'm protecting my image. I don't want anybody, I don't want anybody to know about this. We think oh, I'm protecting myself from the consequences that would come if someone found out. But this scripture says that's actually not the case. David says there's protection when I confess. Verse 6 and verse 7 says, For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place. 
You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. The psalmist says, when I hid my sin, life didn't go well. I felt bad. I was dealing with trouble. God wouldn't let me rest. He wouldn't give me any peace. But when I confessed, I got protection. God overshadowed me. He surrounded me. He stepped in and helped me. I was afraid that if I came clean, that if I confessed and made it right, I was afraid of what was going to go down, of the fallout that would come. I was protecting myself, I thought. But he says, but it's when I came clean. Oh, when I came, when I confessed, that's when God actually came and helped me. He was my hiding place. He surrounded me. But it wasn't until... I got right. The third part of God's response when we come clean is that he restores joy. After our text, a few verses later, verse 10 in Psalm 32, New Century Version says this, Wicked people have many troubles, but the Lord's love surrounds those who trust him. Good people, rejoice and be happy in the Lord, seeing all of you, Whose hearts are right. David says, I was miserable when I kept my sin hidden. That is one thing that is absolutely going to be true in every case. Hidden sin is going to rob you of the joy you should have. It's going to rob you of the joy that God intends you to have. But confession will bring it back. That's why David writes in Psalm 51, 12, he says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Why does it need to be restored? Because when I was hiding my sin, it was missing. There was no joy there. But when I came clean, the joy returns. When sin is confessed repented of, dealt with, there's relief because the heart is once again right with God. Verse 1 and verse 2, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. You know what another word for blessed is? Happy. Joyful. Who's happy? Who is joyful? He says, those whose sin is covered, not by their own hiding it, but covered by the blood of Jesus Christ that he shed for you. The Ukrainian lady in our story, Zaneda Bragantsova, she was incredibly lucky. Four decades with a bomb undetonated just sitting under her bed. You think she slept peacefully? (laughs) Finally, after living with this buried explosive for 40 years, the city government was putting in underground telephone wires. And before they did that, they decided, you know what, we better go through the city and make sure there's no undetonated bombs laying around. (laughs) 
They came to her house. They found the bomb that was buried under her bed. Sure enough, it was there, undetonated, a 500-pound bomb. They were able to disable it and remove it. Think about how much easier Zaneda slept that night than she had for the previous four decades. Because when what is been hidden is brought to light and dealt with, that thing that could destroy you, when it's revealed and removed, you can have peace. And God is waiting. He wants to forgive. He wants to bless. Amen. Let's pray this evening. Every head bowed, every eye closed. For just a moment, without anyone moving around, I want to give you an opportunity to experience the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here tonight, and that sin problem that I talked about early on, you've lived a life breaking God's law, living your way instead of God's way doing what you know is wrong, failing to do what you know is right. And maybe you've never experienced what it is to confess your sin, say, God, I am a sinner and I need your forgiveness. The Bible says every one of us have sinned. Every one of us have violated God's law. And the Bible says that sin deserves judgment because God is, he's perfectly just. Right? Perfect justice demands that crime be punished. Sin must be punished. But you know what's great about God is He's perfect justice, but He's also perfect love and perfect mercy. And I declare to you tonight, those three qualities of God, they united, they combined 2,000 years ago one evening on the cross of Calvary when God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, He took your sin and mine upon Himself and died on the cross, paid the price for our sins so that we could be forgiven. Justice has been served. God took it on Himself because He loved us so much. The Bible says God is not willing that any should perish but all come to repentance. And if you have never experienced salvation, you've never experienced what it is to be forgiven of your sins, you can do that tonight. And all it takes is a simple prayer of faith saying, God, I believe that you died for me and I need your forgiveness. And if you'll choose to repent and turn from your sin, God will meet you here. And from this day forward, your life will be forever changed. How many would there be? You say, you know what? I need that forgiveness you're talking about. I need to get my heart right with God. I need that forgiveness. I need a new start. How many would there be? You'd lift up your hand where I can see it. Put it right back down. All across this place. You're unsaved. Maybe you're backslidden. You were walking with God. You were close to God. You lived for God, but you've fallen away maybe months and years of sin that was covered up and not dealt with finally took you out 
But today, you want to come back. Tonight, you want to get right with God. Just lift up your hand. How many would there be? Okay, speaking to Christians then. I have no doubt and I'm confident that God has put his finger on areas of lives here. That there are things that you have involved yourself in you wouldn't want anybody here to know about. Maybe things that you've given yourself to watching things, listening to things that you know you shouldn't be or you've kept it hidden. Maybe you've spoken words that you know you shouldn't be speaking, right? Maybe that's cussing, but maybe that's speaking words against your brothers and sisters, against your pastor, against your church, whatever. Giving your mind to things that you shouldn't be. Whatever the case is, I am confident the Holy Ghost is dealing with hearts. And I want to tell you, there is a time limit. God is so patient He is so merciful, but there comes a time when the clock runs out. And I'm imploring you tonight, if that is you, tonight is the night God wants to help you. If you will confess and deal with your sin, God wants to forgive He wants to protect and he wants to restore your joy, right? That may be confessing to God at the altar, right? That may be that you need to go to a brother or sister and confess to them or maybe to your pastor and be open but God is drawing you. God is dealing with hearts tonight. There are things they're going to detonate. They're going to blow up if you don't uncover them. And God is waiting. He's waiting to help you. That is his heart. God is for you. Amen. If God has dealt with you, you can come and pray. We're going to stand to our feet. These altars are open. You can come and pray. Cool.
God together. Father God, we thank you, Lord.